Hello, Breakthrough listeners. It's time to embark on your journey towards mastering the infinite banking concept. Ascendant Financial is Canada's gold standard for guiding you every step of the way on your journey of becoming your own banker. Visit mybankersvault.com to purchase our show-stopping package and receive your free wealth accelerator. More money, more control, and fewer taxes await you. Discover the advantages of having ready access to money on demand precisely when you need it to seize high-caliber opportunities with confidence and to watch your wealth soar. Visit mybankersvault.com. Again, that's mybankersvault.com. Tired of the nine to five? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. My name is Rob Brake. I tend to forget to say that, and I, I know it's in the uh, intro, but, you know, nice to just introduce myself and say hello to all of you out there. And, of course, as well, uh, as usual, his name gets announced every single episode, Mr. Sandy McKay. You never miss mine. Never miss mine. <laughs> That's right, I don't. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's like, everyone knows that. Sandy and then like what who's that other guy that's on there with? Um and like I don't know man we're going back in time because your audio sounds like one of the first episodes we recorded. <laughs> What's going on? Hey, well, you know, believe, believe it or not, it, things don't always go perfectly. Um uh, when we're putting these shows together and so we if it doesn't sound perfect today, that's uh, cuz we had a little little hiccup with our uh, our setup uh getting things rolling for the for the show here so um i yeah, am you're in some kind of a closet there with a with a a yeah. lot of echo but you know we can probably fix it in post isn't that what they say that's possibly that's possible uh that's possible and i'm excited because we are having uh, a little one of the reasons i'm in, in here today is we're setting up a new uh little podcast uh, podcasting room and media room and stuff so it's gonna sound way better in the near future and something our guests can look forward to i have a suggestion I, I, you know just take your microphone and turn it around so you're like so it's straight in front of you i think that'll sound a lot better like that yeah absolutely see we fixed hey, it i think genius <laughs> beautiful okay um everyone should go over to breakthrough podcast.ca you all know that uh, you can listen to all the past episodes that we've done. You can get in touch with the guests. I think that's one of the more powerful things that you can do is go over there and all of the uh, people that we've talked to, most of them really like to engage with other people. So go over there. Um, you can find their contact info, reach out and, uh, and get some one-on-one -on -one time with some of the people that inspired you the most from our show. That's one of the things you can do. And you can also get our free gift. Yes, uh, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. And everyone knows this by now, but pick that up. You can get on our email list, never miss out on a show, never miss out on an update from us and uh, everything we got going on. And, uh, and interact with our guests that way too. You can find a little more info on them and what they're all about. I've put together some really cool little webinars uh, for, to discuss purchasing in Costa Rica. So 
I'm going to have some info on that going out soon. And, um, and if anyone's interested, you know, you can get in touch with me, of course, and get uh, involved with those. But, um, you know, it's just a nice short, short, sweet to the point, you know, half hour webinar and then uh, question time afterwards. So we're going to be doing those. And of course, more, uh, more um, investor property tours in Peterborough, Ontario. Um, and yeah, you can get all that info there too. What do you have? Well, we, we might be collabing on that. I think we, we haven't nailed it down yeah. yet, but probably in August, we might collaborate on something uh, up around Peterborough with uh Well, with we should probably start group, to talk so. about it. I know you like to go on yeah. vacation, a lot of <laughs> nice long vacations. So. Hey, August, man, this is August. This is prime vacation time. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be up here working. You're, you're living a vacation. So come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've gotten better, but like for the first year I was here, I, I forgot that I wasn't on vacation. But I'm getting a little better now. Hey, Costa Rica, um, you gotta gotta make the best of it. Uh, that's right. Uh, what do they call it? Pura, Pura, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Yeah. It means it means pretty much everything. You know, people say it for hello, goodbye, what's up, how are you. If something goes wrong, you know, you're in traffic or your car breaks down, Pura Vida. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty much used for everything. Um, anyway. You should also go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It helps us immensely get out there to everybody who could use this content that we share every week, two weeks. So please go over there and do that. Well, this one's important because we got, we're talking, this is, people really need to hear this one. They need to hear legal stuff. They need to, they need to not get mm -hmm. caught up in, in issues around that. And they need to be connected with good people that uh, understand that. Like our guest we got coming up. Absolutely. Let's get into it. Cool. I uh, want to welcome Sean Quick to the show here. Welcome, Sean. Hey, guys. Hey, Rob, I, like, how do, how do you go on vacation when you live in Costa Rica year-round? I, I don't. That's the problem. <laughs> I don't go on vacation. Sometimes yeah. we, uh, I'll like make myself go to an all-inclusive resort or something for a couple of days every <laughs> once in a while. Different part of the beach? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Hey Sean, in here. Um, you, I'll, I'll read a brief bio on you, and then uh, maybe you can add on to it. But uh, you are a not only a real estate lawyer, you're also a real estate entrepreneur, and an active investor, and have been investing in real estate in Canada for quite some time. Um, when you're not participating in the REI community, you also, I know you love your your dog, you have your partner and your dog, uh, Pluto. Is that the name? That's right. Yeah, and lots of photos with, with, with them, and uh, and. You do some other cool things, curling, golf, hockey, golf ball. And uh, but I know you love real estate. I know you've, uh, you've been a great uh, ambassador of our show and, and great list listener and taken up, you know, some of the uh, things we always tell people to do, which is go engage with our guests and uh, learn and connect with them and build some cool stuff together. And, um, and one of those things we're going to talk about later on the show is, uh, is a cool new venture you have coming with, uh, with one of our past guests. So um, looking forward to getting into this. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. So, uh, Sean, tell us a little bit about how you got started in real estate investing. Sure. Uh, it was completely by accident. You know, before I became a lawyer, I obviously had to go to law school. And uh, before that, I had a, a career with the federal government, but I uh, wanted to do something bigger with my life. So I applied to law school and got into Windsor. And a buddy of mine who was from Windsor, told me if that if that's where I should go, then uh, I should probably buy uh, a, a real estate 
a piece of real estate and uh, instead of renting because real estate was so cheap in Windsor at the time. And so that's what happened. I, uh, I got into Windsor. I bought a five bedroom house, a 20 minute walk from the school for $130,000 and uh, ended up filling the rooms with other law students. And it wasn't long before I was cash flowing. And, you know, I didn't realize what house hacking was at the time or that it was even a, a strategy. I, I thought I was simply trying to live for free and have a little bit of beer money, which is important when you're in law school, uh, especially at a place like Windsor where everyone's from Toronto and everyone wants to have a good time on the weekends. So uh, it, it grew from there. You know, I love school so much that I decided to add a business degree to my law degree. And uh, I was in one of my business classes where I learned that um, cash is the least valuable asset of a corporation because it loses money on inflation. This was counterproductive to really everything I'd been taught uh, growing up. And so I decided to take what I had and invest in the second property. And I took the lessons I learned from the first one. I bought a way bigger house, way closer to the school. It had two living rooms. I turned uh, one of those into a bedroom. And all of a sudden I had a six bedroom student house two blocks from the university filled that up started cash flowing there and uh started thinking hey this is this is not bad i, I could use this to pay off my student loan to to get through law school and um and so you know it sort of progressed from there I, as I, I got into articling i was articling at a, a firm on bay street and uh, started to think hey maybe i might want to pair you know my profession with my interest being investing in real estate and uh, and that's really where the idea for prosperous law came and um, that is uh, my law firm uh, my new law firm that uh, is only for real estate investors you've uh, to work at the law firm you've got to either understand investing or be an investor yourself and uh, that's really been the journey and, and really the design of the firm is to is to create value out of a necessary component of the real estate business and the business of real estate, right? Instead of, uh, it, you know, everyone needs a lawyer to be able to buy and sell real estate or, or for the most part, mortgage real estate in Ontario. Um, but, you know, my view is there's so much more that could be offered to people. And, uh, and so I'm trying to become more than that necessary component, but really create a firm that, uh, adds value where value has not been added before. Sounds awesome. And uh, I think that's uh, obviously in line with, uh, with a lot of our listeners and, uh, and people looking to, uh, to buy and sell real estate uh, as a career or just on the side and invest. Um, there is a major difference between just like any, any industry working with a you know, realtor or mortgage professional or accountant or obviously lawyers now who actually do this themselves and have experience, hands-on experience um, working in that industry, not just buying and selling real estate, buying and selling, investing real estate is mm -hmm. a little different. There's lots of little, little things you should be aware of. And there's a lot of great people that know little pieces of that stuff, but, it, you know, really diving in and doing it yourself and, and having that experience of uh, in your case, kind of, living with your tenants or having tenants and dealing with all those different things. Like there's so many, there's just so many components mm -hmm. and, and having firsthand experience is, is hard to replace. Um, so you know, everybody, cool. I think everybody kind of has that similar story um, where like you mentioned, 
living with your tenants. I think people may start out that way and quickly realize that um, <laughs> it was fun at the start and you learned a lot, but maybe not the best, uh, <clears throat> the best way forward. But um, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, so as far as like, you know, uh, a law firm goes, what, what, di- like, what makes you guys different? Like what kinds of things would you say that your knowledge helps these investors with? Well, that's a great question, Rob. The, the average real estate lawyer knows how to read a title search, right? knows how to get bank financing from the bank into the trust account in order to be able to buy. Those are all the basic components of, of a real estate transaction. Obviously there are more, uh, but when it comes to investment real estate, there are nuances. There are things like dealing with existing tenants, adjustments based on those tenants, whether uh, they're existing uh, rent uh, last month rent deposits or uh, current rents, making sure that those are adjusted for properly um, and done so in accordance with actual math. Uh, we, we look at due diligence, right? So as investors, right, we do a lot of business and financial due diligence, right? Does, does the property earn a good enough return? You know, did the expenses that the seller told me, you know, what they were um, on the listing, do they match reality? Uh, does the revenue match reality? That sort of thing. But legal due diligence, uh, there's more to it than uh, just running a title search. There's a whole number of searches that as a real estate investor, we want to have access to the results for uh, or from so that we're making a good informed decision. And on top of making a good informed decision, be in the best position to negotiate the best deal possible for us leading up to closing. Right? So there's a, a section of the standard Oreo uh, agreement of purchase and sale that deals with title searches and requisitions on title. Right. And there are components of that particular clause that can be leveraged if searches come back to, to show that perhaps there's a work order or perhaps there's a zoning issue or perhaps there's a fire department or a fire code issue or an electrical issue. Right. And so as real estate investors, you, you know, as the old saying goes, it's, it's problems or profits. So these aren't necessarily times where we go up, well, we're not going to buy. This is time to say, OK, well, this is how much of a price decrease I need. Otherwise, I'm going to use this clause to get out of this deal and you're going to be stuck without selling your property. Or uh, perhaps uh, instead of a price decrease, it's better terms. Maybe it's a vendor take back mortgage that gets added on. Um, and so it's these little things. It's understanding that this extra due diligence needs to be done not only to protect the buyer, but also to create opportunity for the buyer. And then knowing how to use the results of those searches to create the best deal possible. I think this is one of the best things because um, like somebody listening out there might be really getting sort of involved in real estate investing, want to go out there and and start buying stuff. But they're like, man, my, my, my stupid brother just became a realtor and I got to use him. You know, (laughs) what am I going to do? Like he doesn't know anything about investments. So I'm going to have to just take his word on it. But if they go, if they go, okay, well, uh, this is great because now I can go to Sean and he can help me with all those things that my, my friend realtor, right. Who they're obligated to use 
or they feel obligated to use anyways. Some people do for the first couple and then they go, you know what? It's just more important to, uh, to uh, get my life in line. But let's say for those people, this is great, right? Because then they, you've got all that extra knowledge that, you know, that the realtor on the investment side should have as well, but a little bit extra too. Sean, what, what does the, uh, agreed, that's a good point. <laughs> and, and, and practical, that, that's, that's how that, you know, I was just thinking like, this would so be great times. for somebody who, you know, because there is a lot of times where people are obligated or feel yeah. obligated. I shouldn't say they yeah. are. Everyone can make their own choices, but a lot of times some people, you know, cause I've talked to people who let's say clients that have bought with me. Right. And then when it comes time to sell, they go, wow, oh, I was like my cousin, you know? <laughs> So I got to sell with my cousin. I'm sorry, man. Like that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I'm well, sure there's other people in that same position. Sean, what does what does that? So you mentioned some really good tidbits in there that that uh, that you would do going through that sort of scenario. What, what is, does the average lawyer, real estate lawyer, just not really do that? Or like, how does that actually look um, in reality? Are, are they just are they just not doing that, or are they kind of half you know half-assing it? It's not really half-assing, it, you know, unless you understand the business of real estate, you, what you're doing as a lawyer is making sure that your buyer is protected. What most lawyers aren't doing is taking the knowledge of the results of those searches and turning them into something else when the opportunity presents itself. Now, not all like that opportunity isn't always there. Right. If the if Section eight says that the use of the property is an eightplex and the zoning report comes back and says an eightplex is allowed, well, there's really not much that you know we can press on there. Right. But if it comes back and says it's a fourplex, a lot of lawyers will say, Okay, listen, you know, you might have some issues with the building department down the road. Whereas for me, I mean, that's very easy. I'm going right to the seller's lawyer and saying, Listen, like this is only a fourplex. The value of this property is almost basically cut in half. Mm -hmm. So how, how about we knock a hundred thousand off the purchase price? Now, of course it takes two to tango, right? So the seller's got to agree and this doesn't always work, but it's the thought process. It's the initiative to actually do it. It's, it's actually considering that this is something that as a lawyer uh, or as a law firm, I could do uh, for a client to, to really help make a deal turn from good to great perhaps, or great to really great. Right, a single to a double, or or you know whatever it might be. Yeah, I think like a lot of times, you know, the lawyer will present you with whatever the issue is, right, and you're left to kind of figure out what solutions there are. But uh, it's nice to that you know you guys are at least offering the suggestions to go along with it, right. Actually, you know what? You hit on something that's a bit of a kind of a sometimes a pet peeve of mine. Rob was just the it's 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 with and it. And it I, I just try to say this without like beating up on people too much. But the people people in general that are that are paid by the hour, which is typically like lawyers and accountants and in, in real estate transactions and in real estate world investments, often I find is exactly kind of that's a bit of the mindset. Is like here's the problem. 
do with it what you want and right. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Whereas, you know, often I, I always try and as a realtor, I mean, I don't want to make the final decision for anyone, but I want to at least give them more advice to get, you know, let's get this forward. And how, here's how, here's our a couple of solutions. And well, as what, a lawyer too, you know, you've probably run into all of these kind of things, especially if you're an investment lawyer, uh, you probably run into these kind of things and an investor yourself. Um, where you know you do have practical suggestions that can work right. and then also with the the law portion behind it so it's good yeah. well yeah there's a number of times where just little things come up that that can be used like i i've seen uh, i've seen sales where i'm acting for the buyer where the bank is enforcing a loan there you know this seller is going to lose this property so it's time to make a better deal Right. It, it, it's that thought process. It's thinking, OK, we know that the bank is, you know, 30 days away from from foreclosing or power of sailing this property. Maybe we need better terms because the seller's really in a tight spot. Now, that's not necessarily great for the seller, but, you know, that, that's not my concern if I'm acting for the buyer. Uh, Sean, we talked about uh, or prior, just prior to coming on here, we were talking a little bit about VTBs and how how that's kind of a confusing area for a lot of investors. Um, it's also a great opportunity when used appropriately, and uh, it can be a great opportunity. Often used in some bigger transactions, you know, where people there, there's no mortgage on on the property and the seller, you know, maybe it, maybe it's a win win there to be had. Can you go through a little bit about that process and how that how that actually plays out from a legal standpoint? Because I, I know I've had a lot of investors go to a course or go to some sort of thing and, and kind of understand the basics, but they don't, you know, they, they don't really under, and realtors actually tons of realtors have no idea how to put together a VTB clause or what it actually means. Um, what does that look like? How, 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 do, how do you add value in those sort of scenarios? Well, the V, you know, I like to tell people the VTB is a real double-edged sword, right? On one side, it's a great tool for scaling, right? It means less money into a deal when we start, it means uh, more deals as a result because we're not limited by the amount of capital we have or not as limited. But on the other side, it's really tough to get conventional financing on the you know, small res, small multifam, single family home type deals where uh, a VTB is present. And that's simply because the banks, you know, traditional lenders are almost acting like a factory. Right? There are so many deals and they get so many opportunities to lend that if your deal in this area, right, small multifamily, four units and under, single family home, if your deal is not perfectly curated to what they want, they'll just not bother because there's a hundred more of these deals waiting in line. And so the other side of the sword is when we start buying res small res uh, properties with VTBs, and we also want conventional financing, we're going to struggle to get the lender that we have in first position to agree to it. Unless, of course, the first position lender is going to be the seller. But presuming for a moment that you know we're negotiating a 15 or 20% VTB with 80 or 75% financing from a, a bank, let's say, that's going to be a really tough sell. And that's it's going to be that way for a couple of reasons. Number one, the bank wants to see that proverbial skin in the game, right? They want to know that the buyer's got something to lose so that if they 
so that they're motivated to actually do something with the property, right? actually rent it out and keep it up, et cetera. With the VTB, there is no equity. So the, the buyer, the borrower really has not very much to lose. And so uh, the, second, the second point of that is typically the lender in first position, the bank, is going to hire the same lawyer to act for them on the mortgage as the borrower slash buyer hires to do the deal, which means as a lawyer, I've got an ethical duty to both people, both entities, right? Both the bank and the borrower buyer. And so if the bank tells me no VTBs or no seconds, and my client brings me a VTB, I've got to now tell the bank. I don't want to, but I have to, uh, because I don't want to because that's probably going to kill the deal. So what I what I coach my clients on is if you're going to negotiate for a VTB, skip the bank financing. Go right to private and use VTBs on properties that can be burned or have, have their value increased by forcing appreciation in some way whether it's tenant turnover and uh, renovations and re-renting, or maybe it's rent increases, whatever the case may be, look to use the VTB as a bridge between purchase and refinance. Those are the types of deals where it works. And there are a number of private lenders out there who work with VTBs who don't have nearly the constraints that the lenders do. And, um, those are the types of deals where VTBs work well because we've got no ethical obligation to the lender. The lender knows they don't really care as much because they're making a higher interest rate and that higher interest rate. Sure. It's painful, but it's better to pay that in the short term. If you can limit the amount of capital you have to put in as equity on the purchase and take it all out, including the VTB on the refinance. That makes sense. Private. VTB in the second, not a big issue. Yeah. Conventional, they don't like it. No. <clears throat> no, what's you not get impossible. into the larger stuff? Not impossible, but it's going to have right. some big roadblocks, right? I've done it twice in, in my investing career. Uh, they were both, uh, one was a five unit, one was a seven unit. Uh, managed to get the bank to let me do 100% financing on purchase. But it's rare. I rarely see clients successfully pull it off. And, you know, as soon as the bank sort of gets hesitant, I can't necessarily try and convince them because I also am a fiduciary to them. So I've got to make sure that their interests are protected as well. And sometimes that uh, that results in the bank just saying, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. VTBs, there's lots to them. Um, that's good advice for, uh, you know, in general, I think, uh, you know, we kind of can, can leave it at that. I think, uh, I think if someone's putting together a VTB or thinking about it, they have some questions around it, I'm sure they can reach out to you and, uh, you know, for some guidance on that, you're going to need a, a lawyer to help you through that process anyways. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's good to get them involved, uh, maybe as early as possible. Would that be fair to say, Sean, in that process? Well, yeah, like it, it makes a lot of sense to start figuring out the solutions to the problems before those problems exist so that you're prepared as an investor to actually address the problems when they show up. Like, let me tell you, it is the worst when someone, you know, negotiates a great 20% VTB on a single family home that they're going to burr and then rent out. Uh, and then they also want to close with 
you know, a big six bank and we get five days to closing and the bank goes, oh, there's a VTB. No, thanks. Right. Nothing's worse. Like, let's find that out during the due diligence phase, during the conditional period so that we can figure out how to make it work or, you know, rethink our, our first position lending strategy or whatever it might be, because we don't necessarily not want to take advantage of the VTB, but we definitely don't want to learn the hard way late in the process that it's not going to work as we originally intended. Yeah. I think I agree with you, Sandy, where, um, you know, saying, explain to me a VTB and, and, and like, Explain to me the structure of a VTB. You go, okay, well, you know, it, like it's not a one sheet of paper kind of deal. It's the same as like people used to ask me all the time, how do you structure a joint venture deal? It's just like, well, you know, it's, it's not one thing. You know, there's so many different options, so many ways to do it that it's not going to, it's not, the answers aren't going to come out here in this uh, 45 minute show. So, yeah. Just uh, if you have questions around that or something that you were thinking of doing, make sure you bring it up right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, you've got a couple awesome things happening. You've got the the new law firm, Prosperous Law. Am I saying that right? That's right. Yeah, Prosperous. Okay, that's that's super cool. Uh, you're also, um, which is kind of rare uh, for lawyers to be entrepreneurial, but uh, I would say you're 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 one of those. Um, and and I'm saying that because you got a couple couple things. I we got another cool new venture coming out um, that I want to make sure our listeners know about uh, because it's great to utilize in probably more so in some some larger transactions, but really I guess hypothetically in any sort of real estate transaction. Um, and and uh, tell us about that. Tell us about how you are helping people through upfront capital uh, with their deposits and just finding more money for deals, basically. Well, yeah, thanks, Sandy, for, for asking me about Upfront. So Upfront Capital is a deposit lender, uh, which is, you know, in our view, really the, the last area of the real estate transaction that's not been leveraged. And that's because it's, you, you know, without actually thinking it through, it's actually quite exposed uh, for a lender. And so it's almost too risky. Uh, but what Upfront does is it lends the deposit during the conditional period of a deal. Right. So you're right, Sandy, you know, the company at this point is focusing on, on larger deals. We have a, a minimum loan of a hundred thousand dollars for a minimum of 60 days. Uh, but um, we'll look at other, we'll look at other deals. We'll look at anything from 50,000 and up to, to see if it, it hits the parameters. Uh, but in essence, what that does is it frees up an investor's capital to actually spend it on due diligence and let instead of having it locked up in a trust account for 30, 60, 90, 120 days, earning a 0% return, you know, as I'm sure the two of you know, investor cap, you know, investors, money partners, they don't want to put their money in trust during the conditional period, because like I mentioned, there's no ROI. And as a result, there's a loss uh, on inflation and opportunity cost. And so what Upfront does is we've got a proprietary system to make sure that we can lend these funds and we're not taking too high of a risk uh, so that it really is a win-win. Like our tagline is make better offers and and do more deals. And, um, you know, by make better offers, you know, as a, as a real estate investor, if you're no longer limited by the amount of capital you have to put down as a deposit, uh, 
then you can make more offers because now that capital is readily available. You can also make better offers by offering higher deposits, which makes you a more competitive bidder on a piece of property. So instead of offering you know, a $10,000 deposit, offer 100,000, offer 50,000. And at, you know, in the eyes of a seller, this usually equates to a more serious buyer. As a result of being able to make more offers, you're gonna be conducting more due diligence on more deals, which means you're gonna end up doing more deals. The three of us know very well, money finds good deals. And the more deals that get analyzed and looked at, the more good deals get discovered or created, which means more money finds those deals. So this creates an abundance of opportunity for real estate investors, for money partners, for realtors, for mortgage brokers, really for everybody to, to do more and not, to not be limited by how much uh, capital they have to put down as a deposit during that conditional period. I'm glad you said the one point that I love in that, which is I see a lot of uh, practical use for it, is just putting a higher deposit than you normally. Like if you really, most most investors I see are trying to put the lowest deposit possible. And I've utilized it in many, many occasions with clients or myself where you're, especially in competition, right? And you're trying to get that great deal that's out there and you're like, they're asking for a 50K deposit and everyone's putting 50K in because that's the ask and nobody's putting in more. And, I, and I've had that conversation so many times. We've, I've won, we've won many deals in that case. We're putting down 100 instead of 50. I, we talk to sellers about that, right? The importance of a, a pretty high deposit. And, and so there is, there's value to that seller client. When you're the investor trying to buy it, there's value in having that higher deposit. There's a little bit of risk in that, of course, like, uh, there's a reason why it's more attractive to the seller, but when you're, when you're putting it in, you have conditions, you have your outs, it, it's, you know, you're going to have a lot more time for due diligence, especially on the bigger deals. You know, there's, there's time to figure all that out. The best thing is there just separates you from the competition by doubling, triple, quadrupling the deposit amount. It's so attractive to a seller. And if you end up buying the deal anyways, I mean, it really doesn't affect you much. It's a very small cost of doing business to get the deal. To help get them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a small cost. And when we're talking about deals at this level, it's really just part of the underwriting expense. It's right. not, uh, it's not a meaningful or uh, material expense as it pertains to a real estate investment that's going to be held for a period of time, or even a flip Like, you know, if you're if you're buying a, a million dollar house that you're going to renovate, and it's going to be a $4 million house, you know, even if you spend a million dollars on renovations and $10,000 on financing the deposit for 30 days, well, who cares? You just made $2 million less 10,000. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Cool new products. Yeah. Where can people find out about that? Uh, best place is upfrontcapital.ca. We've got to, you know, our website explains what a deposit loan is, what it's used for. Uh, it really doesn't matter what you're buying. It could be land it could be buildings it could be commercial multifam industrial it could be a business it could be business assets it really doesn't matter you know because from our point of view you know we're out before the deal becomes a deal before it becomes firm and so we're we're dealing uh an asset agnostic uh but upfrontcapital.ca lists uh lists the type of products or type of uh, agreements that we'll look at 
lists our, our underwriting process. Um, and uh, you, of course, can reach me at sean at upfrontcapital.ca. Sweet. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff on, the, on your site there to, to check out. So de- listeners should definitely go, go do that. I think that's a lot to cover. Um, you know, there's some, some great tips in there um, and advice and, and action items for people. Um, one, go check out more about Upfront Capital, especially if you're doing deals in that space already. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't utilize that as a, as a tool uh, in your tool belts. And, and the other uh, thing I want to make sure people know about is where they can find out uh, about your, your new practice and, uh, and get advice and tips and all that uh, through the, the law side of things. Where can they find out more about that? Well, uh, first place to start would be prosperouslaw.ca. And, and that's prosper us, the word us, instead of the word prosperous. Uh, you know, we chose that name uh, because this is really a joint venture, right? Uh, amongst the professional and that power team member, the rest of the power team members, and and the investor. And uh, and so when when we look at it from an us point of view, th- this is mutual success, and uh, and that's really what we went for. Uh, you can find us at Prosperous Law on, on socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube. Um, and you can reach out to me, Sean, at ProsperousLaw.ca. Um, I, uh, I, I should probably tell you that um, my, my title there is Chief Value Officer. My sole role is to find value for the people that interact with our firm, whether that's clients, whether that's other members of the power team, right? Realtors, uh, mortgage brokers, insurance people, um, whoever it might be, and and my staff uh, to create uh, more efficient processes and create a really fulfilling uh, place to work to create value and, and make a difference in the lives of others. I'm actually not going to practice law. And that's so that I can focus on those things. Creating tools for for real estate investors uh, is, is one of my tasks. I've actually hired a lawyer who's way better at this than I am. And, um, and, uh, he's, uh, he's ready to, uh, to take on these challenges and, uh, offer tremendous value from the legal point of view, but in terms of finding us prosperouslaw.ca and at prosperous law on socials, you have a lot going on. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to come and talk to us today. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks Rob. It's my pleasure. I, I like getting to chat with you guys and, um, this is a great opportunity to, to get the message out and. I really see how I can uh, how I can help others. And go over to the show notes if you want to get those uh, links to get in touch with Sean. They'll be there, so you don't have to write it down or stop your car right now or wherever you are. You can get in touch with them anytime. Just go over and look at the show notes and uh, contact them right through there. Um, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Sandy at freedomreps.com or it's Sandy McKay on all the social channels. Right on. People can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca, the old trusted email. Um, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you listening again today. I appreciate you coming on, Sean. And uh, we'll see everybody next time. You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. 
We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time. Thank you.